Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with Olivia Ferrante and uh, just an amazing woman and uh, an amazing sense of history. And every time we speak to this uh, wonderful lady who has uh, concentrated so so much on on visually impaired um, subjects and uh, and, and you know that we talk about the Perkins School um, today uh, she's going to uh, enlighten us on uh, Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe who uh, who was I believe a director uh, director of the Perkins School for the Blind and and much more than that I mean so just an amazing man and uh, and uh, you know I can't say lost to history because there's plenty written about him, but not enough, not quite enough. And uh, uh, Olivia, first of all, welcome. Thank you, thank you very much. I've always admired Dr. Howe uh, from when I was a child, so I thought I'd like to spread the word about him. So I have a few things, and you can stop me anytime if you want to ask a question or make a comment. Just let me know. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, give us. Give us the beginning. You know, give us what you know, and I guess start uh, start from the earliest uh, facts you know about uh, Samuel Gridley Howe, uh, amazing man. Oh, okay. Well, his dates are he was born in 1801, and he passed away in 1876. And the part of his name, Gridley, was his mother's maiden name. So that's where that came from. His father uh, was a Bostonian, and he, he did various businesses, but one of them was making rope for ships. And his business suffered terribly because he made rope for the government in the War of 1812, and they never paid him. So he lost a lot of his prosperity, but uh, he obviously still had enough because um, he sent Samuel to Brown college i think it was college in those days because he didn't like the politics at harvard but then when he finished there he went to harvard medical school and became a physician and this was in the 1820s and at that point the people in greece were having an independence revolution and a very famous person that died there helping them was lord byron the poet and Dr. Howe admired Byron very much. So he decided to go to Greece and help the people there. So he did in 1824. He was a surgeon for the people, for the, uh, you know, the army, but he was also a commander. And he was called the Lafayette of the Greek Revolution. And also his other nickname, because he was so good on a horse, was Chevalier, which is, you know, in French, it's it's like a horseman. You know, like yeah. the, uh, the, I think Cheval in French is horse. <laughs> so that's what, that's what his name was, Chevalier. And yeah. um, when he was there, he also, when he, when he left, he took a lot of Greek children with him to the United States so they should, could become educated. And it, many years later, uh, one of his son-in-laws was named, uh, he, he, he became, after Dr. Howe passed away, he became the director of Perkins. 
his last name was Anaragoras. So that's so he also while he was in Europe, um, the Polish people were in a lot of difficulty, and you know he gave them humanitarian aid. So he he did all that stuff in Europe be, before he came back to the United States. Wow. And then in 1837, he he had you know learned a lot of things when he was in Europe, and he wanted to start a school for the blind in the United States because the only school that was available in those days was in France. That was the first school that was ever created for blind children, and that was where Louis Braille went. So um, Dr. Howe got together, you know, they got funds together, and this uh, Colonel Perkins gave his one of his homes for the children to start the school. So that's why they named it the... Um, Perkins Institute for the Blind. Now they they later they called it Perkins School for the Blind. And um, one of the things he did, which was this could be the first person in the world, but I know it's the first person in the United States. When Dr. Howe was head of Perkins, he found out about a little deaf-blind girl named Laura Bridgman. I believe she lived in New Hampshire. And he took her into the school, and he managed to figure out how to teach her to communicate. Because naturally, being deaf-blind, she didn't know how to talk. She didn't know anything. She had no language. And he, you know, variously experimented, and he had nothing to go on but his own brilliance. And he would have these big blocks with letters big letters to teach her, like, say, for instance, doll or key, and he would, you know, have her feel the letters, and he would have her take the object in her hand to try to convey to her that this is a doll and this is a key. Well, he finally figured out he wanted her, she seemed to be pretty smart, but nothing was happening. So he took her doll and he locked it in a cabinet. And he explained, and she had to get the key to open the door to get the doll. Wow. And that was called the breakthrough. Once she did that, then he could teach her other words and and concepts and so on. This was long before Helen Keller. Wow. So Laura Bridgman was uh, very famous. She ended up uh, teaching at the school at Perkins. And when Dr. Howe got married and he went on his honeymoon and so on, they went to Europe for a long time. After a while, she was so close to him, because she was a little girl when he helped her, that in those days they said that she pined away. So she, I think she probably went into depression, and eventually she she passed away. But that was the first person, a deafblind person, that anybody figured out how to communicate um, and talking about marriage, he married this lady named Julia Ward, a very rich, rich woman from New York. They had six children, and Julia Ward Howe was the one that wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, she, her family in New York was... Yes, and her family in New York was very wealthy. She was very educated. And um, the only disagreement that they had as married people was he 
didn't want her to work outside the home, and she wanted to, and he wouldn't let her. But with six kids, I don't know what she wanted to do. <laughs> but but at, and most of her children, I think all they had six children. I think they had four girls, but they all became writers. Not as good as she was, but they uh, she she would help him with uh, you know abolitionist work, you know writing for publications and so on. He was a very very fervent abolitionist. In fact, he didn't like the fact that John Brown went and tried to you know free the slaves and there was all that violence. He didn't like that, but he supported abolition. And he was a, num- a number of very prominent Bostonians who were very fervent abolitionists. And one of his daughters said that she believed that their home was part of the Underground Railroad, where the people used to escape, you know, and get to Canada. The the you know the slaves would escape and get to Canada. So um, during the Civil War, he had two jobs. One was he was in the sanitary commission, which meant having to do with public health and, you know, seeing that the men, you know, didn't become sick from, you know, bad conditions and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, being a doctor, of course, he was uh, very good at that. And he also was the head of the Freedmen's Bureau, which su- was supposed to help the slaves after they were freed to help them to give them training, give them education, and so they would have a better life. He even traveled to Canada to see a lot of the freed slaves, how they were living, how they made out, you know, after they escaped there. So he was a a very busy person. (laughs) And after the war also, he didn't didn't stop his his good works. He... um, got together with Dorothea Dix, and they started the first school in the United States for intellectually disabled children. She was the lady, she was from New England, she was the lady that um, did all kinds of work for the insane. She used to, you know, tour insane asylums and try to help people so that they were treated better because they were treated horribly. And the theory is that she she was perfectly sane, but that she had mental problems, maybe depression and so on. So that's why she got interested in the subject. Also, she never got married, so that 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 was sort of a usually wasn't done in her day. She lived in the 1800s. She lived to a very old age. But they got together and they did that work. And uh, Doctor Howe used to have all kinds of demonstrations with the children to show that blind children could work and learn because, in that, you know, they wanted to always get more money. And he had one demonstration I thought was really clever. He would have a child. Um, I imagine they didn't have braillers, I don't think, so it would probably be a Slayton Styles, which is how you do it by hand. I'm guessing this. But somebody would either say a quotation or a bunch of numbers and the the child would braille those and then some somebody that was outside another child would be taken into the room and didn't hear anything that went on 
and then that child would take up the braille paper and read what the other child had brailled. This was to prove to people that they actually could do that because a lot of people thought, well, they're really faking. They're just, uh, you know, memorizing. They memorize. They're not really brailing. Isn't really anything. In fact, believe it or not, I had that experience in my own life. Um, I was a lecturer at my church, and one time I was I went to some kind of thing at the church, and I happened to bring my lecture booklet with me because we were doing scripture. So after after we got done, this man came up to me and was asking questions, and I said, yes, this is Braille, and this is what I use to lecture. You know, I read the scriptures. And he said, oh, no, he says, that, that, that's not true. He said, you just haven't memorized. Oh, so God. I opened the book at random, and I read something, and I said, do you think I could have memorized this whole book? <laughs> And he didn't seem to believe me. It was un- this is modern times, right? This yeah. is like <laughs> so. So that kind of ignorance. That you know what a what a thing to say. My yeah, I I never saw him before or since. He was an old guy, but to to say something to me like, oh no, that's a fake. You you just memorized it. I mean that's. You know, that's like offensive. <laughs> it's, also, it's also like why would uh, would somebody do something along those lines? Let me remind folks that are just tuning in a little late or, or turning on their radios or the computers a little late. Olivia Ferrante is uh, is our very special guest, and, and we're talking primarily about Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe, who's an amazing man, just a, a, an amazing individual uh who who lived in the 1800s and uh and what a uh, what what a career and what a life but i you know olivia to to go back to to say that i mean the purpose of someone saying that uh, escapes me like why would they why would that be they want to prove you wrong or they want to you know, I, I think there's more important things to do than to uh, to go up to someone who's uh, visually impaired and, and question uh, whether they're they're doing. Something. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and when I when I opened the book at random, just in the middle, and started reading, you think that would have made him realize that I. But it didn't seem to get into his mind. I mean, it was almost funny, <laughs> but but you could see that's why. Um, Dr. Howe would do demonstrations like that to prove to people that the blind children actually were learning something that, you know, they could read, uh, you know, because nobody knew what Braille was. They just a bunch of bumps on the paper. What did they know? So, um, but he, uh, I was telling him, what he, he, I'm not even finished about all the things he did, believe it or not. Um, he used to go around and give lectures and go to different, because they started different schools for the blind after Perkins, you know, like, say, in New York, for instance. That's very famous there. Um, he, it, at the, near the end of his life, he shocked a lot of people because he started saying that disabled people should not be segregated, that they should live with everybody else, not just blind people, any, any sort of disabilities. And that was, they couldn't believe he was saying these things. And also he wanted to, this has nothing to do with the blind, but he, he was sort of a philanthropist, and he thought the tax system was not very fair. So his idea, this is long before they had the income tax, but his idea was to have a graduated tax. He thought that would be more fair 
because the people that um, you know didn't have much money wouldn't pay so much as people that had a lot of money. That was his idea. That was also considered radical. <laughs> and um, he w- he when he passed away, he was buried in the Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, which is pretty famous. And the Howe Press at Perkins was named after him because he founded that and he would make the books for the blind. And also the main building at Perkins, uh, which houses like the administration and a lot of the classes and various like the auditorium and, you know, different things, the gym and all that. It's called the Howe Building. So he has, you know, in that sense, he was never forgotten, <laughs> especially where his son-in-law directed the school after he passed away. So his, his memory was, um, you know, was kept. But you don't really, unless you know something about blindness or something, you never really hear anything about him. And I think he's a, a very worthy person to know about. All the things he did, I can't think of any bad, at least they weren't listed when I was reading about him, any bad things that he did. Yeah, amazing. Uh, let me ask you something, and it, uh, kind of jumping around here, but um, prior to Perkins and, and prior to there being schools for the, uh, the blind and visually impaired here in, in America, uh, was it common for people in other countries to send their, their children to France, to, uh, you know, their children with the visual impairments, um, to the Braille school, or was that uh, something that was almost um, exclusively French? Well, when I don't know about the doctor, well, Dr. Howell was investigating in the 20s and 30s of the 1800s. I don't know, but I know when Louis Braille was there and he didn't pass away till the 1850s, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think mostly just French children went to the school. I'm not, I can't swear to that exact, but I mean, from what I've read, it seemed like they were just in France. Now, whether they started other schools in Europe afterwards. I know in the 18, later 1800s, they, there was a German lady, a very saintly person that was teaching the, she didn't have a, actually a school, but she was trying to teach blind children with some big letters. But I can't think of any other countries. They might have started things after the you know, latter 1800s, but the only one I know of was in France because when he when Dr. Howe was investigating, he wanted to start the school, he went to Europe. And the only place I know that he went was France. Now, he could have gone other places, but that just wasn't talked about. So I sort of doubt it, because the place in France was started in the late 1780s or someone like that. So there was no place before that. So, you know, in those days, communication wasn't like it is now. Yeah. And distances people didn't travel they didn't have railroads until like say the 1830s or 40s so even if you were in the same country it took a long time to get to paris from wherever you were with the horse and wagon or something (laughs) so uh and a lot of people of course probably didn't have the money to be able to send a blind person usually what happened with the blind people a lot of them became beggars because their families didn't want to support them. And, of course, since they were illiterate, there wasn't much they could do. They could listen, 
Louis, when, before Louis Braille went to Paris, he went to school and he listened to all the lessons, but he couldn't read or write. So he happened to be a brilliant person and he could retain a lot of this. But other people, uh, if you were rich, maybe you'd, you'd stay in your nice home with your family, but there wasn't really much you could do. Maybe you could learn that they did have some blind people rather wealthy and affluent that say were pianists or did some instruments or did some singing but otherwise there really wasn't anything else that was open to them and even today when when i talk to people about braille they'll say well what do they need that for they got tapes and and computers i said yeah but if you can't spell if you can't construct a sentence or a paragraph and write it down I said, you're illiterate. No matter how many tapes you have to listen to, you're illiterate. And, it, and it, I said, even if you want to use a computer, most computers you have to type in the information. I know there's some you can talk, but I don't know how good they are. Yeah. But if you don't spell things right, if you don't have spell check, uh, or even if you do, you're not necessarily going to be writing the right thing that you want to write. So I, I tell people, most I think only about 10% of blind people even know Braille. A lot of teachers don't want to teach it because it's hard, because they, they it's very hard to look at Braille. It wasn't made to look at. It's the same color as the paper. It's made to feel. So because they have such a hard time, I used to fight with them all the time. I was not popular as a teacher of the blind among my peers because I said you have to teach Braille if you have a blind student or... If you have a student that possibly could lose their sight, you have to teach them Braille. And th those students that I have taught Braille, uh, one of them unfortunately did lose her sight, but she's always telling me how glad she was that I taught her Braille. So um, that's that's just common sense, but it's very rare that, that a lot of blind people know Braille. And I love Braille. I think it's great. I can... I can picture words in Braille or in print in my mind. doesn't matter because I learned them both at the same time. Olivia Ferrante is the voice that you're hearing, and our subject is Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe, and uh, what a great man that isn't talked about um, or, or, or written about uh, half as much as, half okay. as much, a, a quarter as much as, uh, as he should be. Uh, this should be a uh, this man should be a household name uh, for what he's done in uh, in his life and you know again he, his um, his time period his time span was the 1800s and you know again uh, Louis Braille we're lucky we're fortunate that we know enough about Louis Braille but uh, but certainly Dr. S uh, Samuel Gridley Howe is someone that we should uh, we should be learning a lot more of what else can you tell us about Dr. Howe that we haven't touched on here, and uh, and uh, can you compare them to somebody? Is there a comp? Is there a comparison historically to to someone? Because he, it's not only the work that he did for the visually impaired, uh, you know, his abolition work and uh, and you know, founding of schools. Uh, it wasn't just uh, for the blind too. I mean, uh, I you know they you they used a terrible word, but uh, idiocy. I think uh, school for. Uh, uh, children who suffered from idiocy. I guess that was um, that was uh, low IQ or that was uh, whatever. But you know, obviously, we would never use those words now. Um, but uh, it, what he's done 
historically in education is uh, is is really second to uh, second to none or second to very few. Um, what can you tell us about uh, Dr. Howe? Well, when when he I thought it was great that now he he was the director of Perkins from 19, 1837 to when he passed away. But after that, I told you the other things. But in the meanwhile, after he was director and he did all the things in the Civil War, and then I, I thought it was amazing that he did start that school with Dor Dorothea Thick Dix about intellectually disabled. That's what we would call them. They right. they would call them. In fact, a couple of names they called them were not so bad as as what you, yours was like. That was the first thing that or they'd call people morons or uh, you know retarded. That was a little better retarded. Now they say uh, developmentally delayed and so on and so forth. Right. It, it it's just semantics. You know, it just means these unfortunate children. Maybe they have Down syndrome. Maybe they have something else uh, that are not, you know, they they're like if they're six years old, they're not using their mind. They can't use their mind. They might be stuck at let's say three years old. I know because a lot of my students were. Uh, I had to teach anybody that had a visual impairment, but when the children didn't have much, you know knowledge or they, they their mind wasn't you know correct it didn't matter if they were visually impaired it wouldn't have helped them if they had 2020 vision so um i think it's amazing that he went into that field I, I would say that's even in some ways more difficult because a lot of the blind children that he had that was their only problem was they were blind and some of them maybe could see a little bit, but if if their mind was all right, they could learn to read and write and, you know, do numbers. They could learn skills. They could, you know, the girls could learn to sew, and the, the, the boys could even do woodworking. And he, and he used to say that if they lived out in the country, this was blind children, he used to say, let the blind children find their way around let them go and, for instance, hunt for eggs when the hens laid the eggs so they could bring them home. Let them go and say, well, you know, put a bucket in the well to uh, bring water. So that was rather different outlook. Remember, this is the 1800s. Yeah. That was not a normal outlook for anybody to want children with handicaps to be in with their family or to be in society and to try to do a lot of things that people did. So I can imagine the blind was bad enough, but I can imagine if he hadn't started the school for the intellectually disabled children, they probably would have just sat in a room and done nothing. I mean, if you think about it, if they had no one to teach them anything. So I think that was probably even a more difficult job that he took on. And then to tell people, and then he, of course, to do all those lectures. I, I actually don't have any idea when he slept. <laughs> I mean, if if he wasn't running the school, and as as I told you, he, he you know did the breakthrough with Laura Bridgman. That was just him and her, but plus running the school. And I imagine he probably did a lot of teaching of the children because he used to you know make the books for them and everything. 
and then to do all the work in the Civil War, by, but he was still director of the school, and then this other school, I don't, I don't, and then doing all the lectures, I don't know really uh, how, when he actually did any recreation. I think one thing he did like, he liked to ride. So, um, and, and in fact, his wife, the nickname that she gave him, I told, I told you he was called the Chevalier, and she called him Chevy or Chev. That was her nickname for him <laughs> because when they met, she was in a, hot, a carriage. Well, I don't know if it was an open carriage. I assume maybe it was. And when he met her, he with some men, he was riding a horse, and she was quite impressed with his horsemanship because he was quite a bit older than she was. He wasn't very old, but she was like maybe 20, <laughs> and he was maybe 40 or something like that. Um, so he was a very active person. You know, he didn't just sit behind a desk. And, of course, he did all the lectures, so we had to travel a lot. And there were some railroads in those days, but not that many. So I imagine he probably used horse and carriage or, you know, rode on a horse. One or the other. I mean, just, I, it's just it, you know, an incredible life. Uh, yeah, I think we need, we need more time to talk about Dr. Will Sam, uh, Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe. Uh, in my mind, uh, every bit is uh, is is uh, as brilliant as uh, Braille, but of course Braille, uh, you know, he, who could, you know, who could uh, measure up to uh, Louis Braille with what he's had in his life and 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 how many people he's changed the lives uh, lives of, uh, and and again without uh, without playing with a level playing field, he uh, he just did amazing things and. Uh, just yeah, just wonderful, Olivia uh, Ferrante. I, I want to thank you very much. Uh, do you have a website or a social media site we could point people to to follow along with what you're doing? No, I I'm n I don't have any presence on the internet. I don't have a computer. <laughs> uh, the only if people wanted to learn more, the only thing I can tell them is um, uh, Marquee Who's Who. They have a website and. Uh, there's supposed to be an article about me on the website. That's it what they tell lovely. me. But it's very nice. It's, uh, it's but it's it's the uh, you know it's the f it's not there's like a million who's who's. But this is the actual first one, Marquis Who's Who, 1898. So I've been associated with them. Oh, I think in the 80s. I don't know. Somebody recommended me because they told me you can't recommend yourself. So I got a form one time asking if I wanted to, you know, be included. So my mother and I were rather startled. So I filled it out, and uh, I sent it in, and the, I was in Who's Who in America way back in the 80s. And then every so often they'd send me, an, uh, you know, update your profile and so on and so forth. But now they have, of course, like everybody else, they have a website, and um, it's just the basic facts of my life and so on, What you know, what I did as a teacher. But that was if somebody was, you know, interested, that's where they could go to find something out about me. Wonderful. O Olivia Ferrante, thank you very much for being here. Congratulations on all your success and, uh, and uh, your, your, your grasp on history and, and certainly history that's kind of hidden um, a, a bit is just, uh, is just tremendous and the work you've done uh, with the visually imperative, just, yeah, just wonderful. Olivia, thank you very much.
Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Olivia Ferrante, everyone. Uh, wonderful uh, educator and uh, historian. Uh, just, uh, just absolutely wonderful, and and her concentration is uh, uh, those with uh, uh, like herself uh, with visual impairments, and uh, thank God for people like her. And our subject has been Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe, uh, an amazing man. Read more about him and and the Perkins School for the Blind. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. Olivia Ferrante has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down.